Good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Welcome here to Valley Community Church. You know, Thursday nights is quickly becoming one of our favorite services. We, uh, we're excited about the momentum and the, the, the sense of excitement that we're feeling on Thursday nights and just the presence of God. That was awesome worship tonight, wasn't it? Wasn't it fantastic? All right. Well, we are in this series, and actually tonight we're going to close it up. And we're talking about following the star. We began with an exhortation, and knowing that when we talk about a star, we talk about a, 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 an event. We, 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 talk, we talk about something that God placed in the sky. When we even think about the star, we are overwhelmed with the power and the presence, the omniscience, the omnipotence of God himself to have placed that in the heavenlies to announce the greatest event in human history. God is God. He knows what he's doing. Then last week we talked about how it is God who is leading us. He is wanting to lead us step by step in this life. In fact, he has a plan and a purpose for our life. We talked about that. We talked about how to hear from the voice of God. How do we, do we know, can we talk to him? Can he lead us? Not just by a star, but can he speak to us now and in our, with a still small voice? And he can't. He absolutely can, and he wants to. So tonight, we're going to go a little further. We're going to kind of wrap it up by looking at the whole Christmas story. And when we think about purpose, to take a moment to look at this wonderful nativity story and maybe see ourselves in it and look at this little bit of a quick character study, you might call it, and just see, okay, what is God showing? What is my part to play in this passion, in this nativity story? So we're going to take a look at it tonight. Before we do, though, you know, when I think of the Christmas story, I think of, obviously, the absolute wonderful plan of God being played out in the simplest of ways. Not a lot of fanfare, even though there was some wonderful things that were taking place from the heavenlies as God was announcing this, as God would, was doing some amazing things. But I see it in contrast. Really, when we think about Christmas, more and more as, as we, uh, we approach the, the coming of Christ, the wrapping up this world, you know, the Bible tells, tells us that even creation is yearning and is crying out for redemption. And so we feel this, we sense it. And whether we're feeling that now and all that's going on in the world and all that the chaos that we all sense and the pressure and the struggle between mankind, what is becoming more and more evident, what is being pushed out into the open, is clearly the difference between a God who rules and reigns with love and mercy and goodness and an exposure of all that which is dark and wicked. We're seeing the contrast between that where humankind, us, mankind, we're having to make the decision. And, and, and it's becoming clearer and it's becoming more, in a sense, divided. And when we think in those terms, we should not be shocked. We should not be overwhelmed. We should just take the opportunity to make sure that we understand who it is that we're following, that we understand who it is that we're called to be a part, and that this life that we all enjoy is all going to be wrapped up in the absolute wonderment of God as he finally pulls this whole story together and knowing why this little baby had to come knowing why we have experienced this and that why we celebrate the way we do every year, this little gift that came from heaven. Again, it's contrasted. And it's contrasted in my mind to hum humanism, to man, and, and, and man yearning to get attention, 
man yearning to take and replace God and his wonderful throne, to wrestle. It, 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 it's wonderful to see that every year that every, every single human being who tries to steal attention from God, they can't do it. They can't. Because who Jesus is and what he represents and what he's done for mankind, all the earth just stops for that, that one moment. And we all take a deep breath and realize no one, no one could ever match what this, the Son of God has done, what, what God has done in showing his ultimate love. Again, contra contrasted to man who is, who's, who's, who's always going to just flail in his attempt to try to steal. You know, in our story, it begins with Caesar Augustus, doesn't it? Caesar, who is one of the emperors, he is uh, uh, ruler of all the civilized world, and in his pride and arrogance, he rises up, and he wants to count all of the people in his various places throughout the earth, and he's, he's going to take a census, as they call it. And you may not even realize that when you read the story. You think, well, you know, people take censuses. Well, this was... The purpose of this was for Caesar Augustus to know what his power was, to know what his might, to be able to laud and glory in his control. And in fact, it was, as a result of that, it was a terrible time to exist. But people's lives were going to have to be turned upside down. They were going to have to go, especially for those who were in Israel, to have to uproot themselves and go back at great expense and great struggle in their family to have to go and to uh, relocate and where their, their, their family of birth was. So, so for Mary and Joseph, this was a tremendous struggle. In fact, you might even look at it as a crisis. Here she was pregnant, and she's going to have to be on the road. She's going to have to travel carrying a baby. And any, any, any mother who, who, who's been and carried a child in the, the last trimester realizes that, that that's a terrible thing to have to, to do, to be walking, to riding a donkey, and to, to be displaced, to not be near the nest, not be the, near home, to be able to enjoy bringing this baby forth. It's all, it's, it's, it's turned upside down, all because of the pride and the arrogance. And when we think of what's taking place here, there's no doubt it's taking place in the middle of a chaotic world. You know, I was sharing this with the elders earlier. The word in Chinese, crisis, is actually made up of two characters. One is danger, and the other is opportunity. And it's interesting that they would look at it that way. And you know what? God looks at it that way. That every crisis that we see, that every time man makes a move to do something that is disastrous, whether it be to destroy himself or to destroy people or to make lives of people miserable because of pride and arrogance, God sees it as an opportunity. The dis displacement, the, the disheveling of people's lives, the turning upside down opens the door. In fact, because of the arrogance of Caesar Augustus, God was able to bring and slide through the door the crack that was provided, his only begotten son. You know the story. So when we think of the Christmas story, we've got some characters. We've already talked about Caesar Augustus, what he represents. But then we've, we talked about Mary last week and how wonderful Mary is. So I won't, well, I won't talk about her again. But just to know that when we think about Mary, she is the epitome. She is the example of one who is pure, who has been set aside, who, has been, who, who is just waiting on God to do something. She's made herself available. And God has said, you are the one 
you, you are highly favored by me because you have made yourself available to me. Then there's Joseph. We don't hear a lot about Joseph, except that we've got to know that it took an incredible amount of character for him to be able to stand in the situation that he was placed in. And then, instead of to just say that it was pizza or whatever it was that the dream that he had, he was able to acknowledge that reality that an angel visited him and said, look, don't even think about it. Take this, this young, wonderful woman as your wife because for the rest of your life, you will be a part of a great miracle. Joseph saw it as a crisis, but really, it was an opportunity. An opportunity to be a part forever in the story that changed the universe. Then, of course, we know some others in the story. We had Elizabeth and we had Zechariah. I won't speak much about them, except that they're in this very similar situation. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they, again, are just faithful servants. Disappointed, because they weren't able to have children. They were late in their years, and, and of course, as, as I've shared before, you know, that when you think of, of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they must have endured some shame, thinking that they couldn't have babies. Back in those days, the, the, their immediate experience or their, um, their emotion or perhaps the feedback they would have gotten is that there was something wrong with them. They weren't blessed of God. And so there they were in this situation where they, they continued to just kind of embrace and say, well, God, we know that we love you with all of our hearts. We don't know why you've closed our Elizabeth's womb, and we, and we don't know. But they remained faithful. That They did not become bitter. They did not push God away. And yet God said, it is you that I'm going to use for my glory to bring forth John the Baptist, who would be the one who would go before Jesus Christ and, and lay the foundation, clear the path, then we've got the Magi. We think about the Magi. You know, so many uh, thoughts about that, but it's interesting. A lot more study has gone into the Magi and who they were. I won't get into all of that, except we might consider the Magi as modern-day scientists, that they were highly educated. They had studied. It's, it's tradition, that they, or at least there was some idea that they may have actually even been started by Daniel himself which is why they knew about the events, which is why they were adept at studying the Hebrew Scriptures, specifically the book of Isaiah. They would have known. And so here they are. They're studying. They're studying the stars. They're studying the heavens. They're looking, and then they're surprised. And apparently we're going to see some kind of a celestial event here real soon with two planets lighting up for the first time in 800 years, which is going to be neat. I think it's December 21st is when you can see it if the skies are clear. Interesting, isn't it? And so they saw what was taking place in the heavenlies. And so here they mixed their scientific understanding with a heart to understand what it was that God was doing. And so they put their lives on hold. They traveled. Whether there was three, we don't know. There was probably more. But we know there were the three gifts. But there were probably more. But they were scientists. They were those who were hungry to know, but they were also ready to listen to God, ready to hear what God wanted to say. And so they weren't just knowledgeable. They weren't just elite. They weren't just those who were highly educated, but they were those who were listening to the voice of God, as we will see. As they grow and uh, uh, connect with Herod, as they begin to hear more of the story, as they begin to understand and communicate to others, they begin to see the drama that is taking place behind it. 
And they begin to realize, wait a minute, there's something dangerous that's taking place here. Perhaps we ought to keep this knowledge to ourselves. And indeed, a God, God comes by an angel and speaks to the Magi and says, no, don't tell anybody. You, you guys go back a different way. You've experienced this. I, you, you have been here to testify and to be a marker in history forever as to being marking this date, knowing what you saw, translating what took place in the heavenlies, and announcing the birth of the king of kings, the king of the Jews, as he was called. And then, of course, there's the shepherds in the field. We know a little bit about the shepherds, other than just what we know about the Hebrews and, 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 and Jewish shepherds. They would have spent their whole life out there in the field. Most of them would have spent all of their days out there, rarely to actually connect with other people, very lonely, very isolated, very committed to their flock. And isn't it interesting that God would choose them and you know, when you see the movie, The Nativity, they communicate that, that it was God's, that, that's what God does. God loves to draw those who are on the edge. God loves to go after the ones who feel like they have no purpose, that they have no connection, that they feel like they're too small in the world's eyes to be a part of something so wonderful and big that the angels would come and present. They could have done that over the city of Jerusalem, couldn't they? They could have done that anywhere. They could have, they could have even shot a bunch of the Pharisees back in Jerusalem, but they didn't. The angels and the great company of angels appeared before these shepherds out in the field to announce such a wonderful, wonderful happening. Think about those shepherds for a minute. How that would have changed their lives forever. Forever. To experience just that and to know we were there. We saw it. And they would have told their children and their children's children, and they would have probably developed a heritage of knowing we were the ones who saw the angelic host who announced the Son of God. And then, of course, we come to Herod. Now, Herod represents so much, so much. But when we know, what we know about Herod is that he was a sellout. He was Jewish. He was a king. He was a absolute, probably what we would call a Hellenistic Jew. In other words, he had no real faith. He was only a Jew by culture. But he was a servant to Rome. And when he began to hear of the idea or the, 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 um, that the time of the prophecy there in Isaiah of the virgin birth, of this child being born, when he had heard from the Magi, that this was the time that it was getting ready to happen, then evil rose up in his heart. Evil rose up inside Herod's heart, and what he saw, what he felt, was only one thing that would have come from any human soul that did not connect to the sovereignty and providence of God, and that was that it's a threat, an absolute threat. And so what does Herod do? The most despicable thing that we could even think of. As we sit here tonight, you know, maybe there are those who might think that what he did was a service to humanity. Because I wonder if even there are those in this world today, when they look at that, they'd say, well, you know, population control. Perhaps it was what he did was just something that was needed to really happen to these people who just seemed to have way too many babies. What did Herod do? Well, when he heard that this baby was probably born within this period of time, well, he commanded that every Hebrew child two years and younger 
would be put to death. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you just try that on emotionally just for a second? The thought of soldiers breaking into your home in the middle of the night. You'd finish dinner and you're getting ready to sit down and maybe read a story. And there by the fire, you're holding your little baby that you're so proud of. And then the soldiers come in and tear up the room and grab that baby as roughly as it possibly can and put it to death right there in front of you. This is what Herod did. And it's interesting to me that when we think of the things that God does, whenever God is getting ready to do something amazing, whenever God is ready to change the world and to reach for mankind, what does man, what does Satan do? He kills babies. So heartbreaking. But when we read this story, we're not supposed to miss that. In fact, what we're supposed to see is the contrast of what God who looks down and says, this is how I want to bless the world. This is how I want to. God could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have made Jesus just appear as a full-grown adult, couldn't he have? Wouldn't have been anything for God. We know he had pre-existed. Why couldn't he have come in his pre-existent form, pre-incarnate? Why couldn't God have just made him into a man and said, okay, here he is? But he didn't. He chose to bring him through the womb of a, of, of a human female. And to bring this baby into the world with all of its joy, with all of its newness, with all of what we would celebrate as human beings, life. So Herod, in contrast, is just pure evil. Pure evil. The enemy rises up, and he's going to try to staunch out the plan of God. Why? Because we've known it for 600 years how God was going to do it. You know, in some ways I look at that and think, God, did you really have to tell him that? Did you really have to tell him ahead of time how you're going to do it? Except that, that's the reason why the Magi knew. Except that, that we can look at this and say, wow, God knows all things, sees all things. And there's not a plan that God puts into motion that will ever not come to pass in spite of what the enemy does, in spite of the hearts of evil that rise up to try to thwart the plans of God. Yeah, that's Herod. He listened to the glory thief trying to stop God's plan. Then we have, later in the story, we have Anna and we have Simeon. We can't forget these guys. Because Anna is an old woman, and she lost her, hung, uh, her husband in her, young, in her young years. In fact, she was only married just a short time before her husband died, and then she never remarried. And then she dedicated her life to just waiting on God, serving God, listening to God. And then in her heart, God looks at her and says, you know, she has been faithful all of her life. I'm going to make her a part of this, of, of my plan. So when, when little, when uh, uh, Jesus was brought in, ready to be circumcised on the eighth day, as any Hebrew child would have been brought to the temple to do this. Anna's there. And Anna gets a chance to hold the child, hold the Son of God, and be able to prophesy over this little baby. Why are these little pieces of the story put in there? I mean, I mean, you look at them and you think to yourself, they're not, I mean, how many people would have potentially have done that? 
How many people would have walked past and seen? Why didn't we get the report from one of the shepherds? Why didn't we get, one of, why didn't we get CNN, grab one of the shepherds after they had just met with Jesus? Hey, so what do you think? Yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible. You want to hear what I went through? I mean, I was out there. I mean, didn't. But what we have recorded in the book is a very, very old woman who meant really nothing to anybody. Who, yeah, held this little baby in her arms and she prophesied over him and she this little baby right here is the son of God and he's going to turn this world upside down. And she looked at Mary and said, she could feel it, she could see it. He is going to strike your heart, Mary. It's going to hurt you. You have brought this wonderful child into this world, but I can see right now that there's, going, there, there's pain somewhere down the road. And of course, we know what that pain was, right? We know. And then we have Simeon. Simeon is an old man who has been serving God. He's been doing all these wonderful things. He's been faithful to God. And yet, he, you, if you look at the backstory, you've got to kind of dig in a little bit. But what you see is a man who has felt like, again, Nobody. Nobody really takes, pays no mind to him. He's just a faithful guy coming to the, to, to the service, part of the synagogue, going to the temple. Faithful all of his life. And I'm sure he came to one of those moments and just said, God, why do my, am I even here? Why doesn't people even pay attention to me? I'm not making any mark in this world. And then God punches through and says, Simeon, I love you so much. In fact, I am going to let you, before you close your eyes, see the Son of God. You're going to see the Savior of the world before you come to be with me. In fact, shortly thereafter, you will come to be with me. And Simeon does. Simeon's right there when that little baby Jesus is brought in. And Simeon, you can imagine him holding this baby and looking at this baby and realizing and knowing, there he is. I've seen him. Folks, these are little pieces of a story that are put together. And you've got to ask yourself the question, you know, when the storyteller makes... I, I like to write stories. I tell stories all the time to my children. I love stories. And yet, there is a purpose to every part of a story. As it's building its case, what we find is that God is trying to tell us something in all of this. Now, and, of course, there's the obvious, but then there are the underlying themes that we need to make sure we get, we get, we catch. And how we do that is by looking at these people. That's how you do it. You look at the story and say, okay, who am I? Who am I in this story? So if we take a look at it, and I just broke it down, not to go over all of them again, but just to look at them very simply and categorize them. First of all, of course, you've got the, the enemies of God. You've got those who are proud obstructionists. In fact, what we find about Herod and Augustus and, and the troops and the soldiers and anybody else who was trying to thwart the plan of God in all of this, what we see is that there are those in this world today who are trying to do that. And we need to ask ourselves, am I following God? Am I helping God or am I in his way? And I, am I being an obstructionist? Am, am I doubting that God is still moving? Am I still doubting the power of the risen Savior in any way, shape, or form? Because the story is continuing to be told, but it's continuing to play out because the baby became a man, and the man ministered, and the man gave his life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again. 
So we don't just talk about a baby anymore because the baby grew up. And he died for you and me. So when we think of the story, when we think of what's taking place here, Herod is placed in there. And I'm not just saying on one level because I'm hoping and praying to God that there's not a Herod soul here in this room tonight. And if there is, may God have mercy upon you because you can give your life to Christ tonight and that be broken over your life. You can come out of darkness and into light. But I think we need to go a little deeper. We should not be celebrating the Herods of this world. In fact, when it comes to human life, when it comes to babies, we should celebrate life. Isn't it awesome that we dedicated a baby tonight? Isn't it awesome? God could not have scripted it any better. You know, Andrew and I are pretty much done with all that, but, but I know Andrew would take another one, just like right now, and I'd be like, dear God in heaven. But I'll tell you what, being a father and raising up children and watching you raise up children, man, I know the heritage of what it is. I know it is. And, and I know what is locked in, the potential of every little human life. We need to get that message. You say, you're getting that all out of the nativity, all out of the Christmas story? You bet you I am, because it's there. Strong, loud, and clear. Secondly, you may, uh, uh, another individual or, or how you can identify with this story is this group of people that I just call the simple obedient servants who are ready to testify of God's faithfulness. And that's most of us. That's most of us, if not all of us. But we need to see that God put these individuals, the shepherds, the, the, the Elizabeths, the Zacharias, and, the, and Annas, and the Simeons, he put them in the story so that he would show us that we would see that it doesn't matter what, where you are, what you've grown up, and what you do, but there is a part for you and I to play in this daily drama that is constantly playing out in front of us. Look, chaos, crisis, it's dangerous, but it's also an opportunity. What's going on in the world today, no one really knows. But for us as believers, it doesn't matter. Bring it on, baby. The more darkness you throw at us, the more light will be exposed. Because for every Caesar Augustus, there's a Magi. And for every Herod, there is God's most wonderful plan. There's a cave. Nothing. But nothing will thwart the plans of God. And you need to take hope in that tonight. And realize that you are not lost in this story today, folks. You're not lost in what's taking place in this world. The shaking, the chaos, all of it. it yeah, it's dangerous. But it's opportunity. And I hope you're able to see that even tonight. That God wants to do something in and through you. In fact, you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have more inside you in the way of faith and the way of everything that God has provided for you to be able to succeed and do amazing things here in this world and in this life. Right now. Right now. Jesus said all you need is a mustard seed of faith. Because he does everything else. And then finally, the patient servants waiting for our purpose to be revealed. Just, just waiting. 
just waiting, kind of just held back and saying, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm ready to launch quite yet. I'm, I don't know what my part is going to play in this world, but I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm just like with what Paul talked about, having the shoes of the gospel ready for the readiness to be able to share, ready, ready. My boots are on, and I'm waiting there by the door for God to say, go. There are those of us that we see in this story ready to be called in, ready to be called out. That's us. See, following the star means following the most important person in the whole story. And who's that, of course? Jesus. It's following him. We're either reacting to him, we're either obstructing him, we're either in his way, or we're saying, oh, no, God can't do it. God doesn't do those kind of things today. God, God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. Or you could be the one to say, I'm just waiting. I'm, I'm on his side. I'm ready to do whatever he needs me to do and when he needs it done. See, that's following the star. Jesus looked at us, and he still does. He looked at his disciples, and he said two words that have never changed. Follow me. Follow me. So we're not following a star anymore. We started, and you may even thought, well, you know, kind of, what kind of weirdness is Pastor Dave coming up and following a star and all? Because, again, it's just a symbol to teach us, to remind us that, look, we're supposed to follow not a star, but the star, the star of the universe. I mean, a star as in Hollywood star, as in the greatest individual that's ever lived, Jesus. Called to follow him. Called to listen to him. Called to to, do whatever he he, he is prepared for us to experience in this drama called life. See, but in the following, it also means we're leaving something behind. And that's what we need to think about, folks. Not only in this season do we celebrate the gifts and and family and all the wonderful things, but we need to think in terms of perhaps it is a time right now for us to dig in a little deeper in the following of Jesus. But again, remember that in always in the following, there's always leaving something behind. The Magi, when they left to go find the King of Kings, they had to leave behind the comfort of their home. They had to leave behind everything that was familiar because that's what it involves. I want to finish tonight with a section of scripture that is just always so powerful to me. I love Paul's relationship with Timothy because I find that fatherly, that wisdom that he pours into his life. And I think if we'll let Paul speak to us tonight as a room full of Timothys, listening, waiting, wanting to know what's next, let's listen to what Paul tells him right here because he speaks to all of this. But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all of this. And he's talking, he he, he was talking about the confusion in this world. He was talking about the arguing in the church. He was talking about the chaos that's happening. He says, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We need to really just camp on those words for about this whole 2021. That just needs to be our assignment right there. But let's keep going. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who while testifying, testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. He says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame 
until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, speaking of the Father, to him be honor and might forever and ever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Boy, a wonderful encouragement for these times. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for this coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with all of you. Paul is looking at Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, just make the main thing the main thing, young man. Stop getting caught up in all of the arguments of this world. Stop getting, getting drawn into to, to the, the, the theological argument, arguments, the doctrinal you know, struggle, uh, the, the, the politics, all that's going on in this world that can draw Christians and get us off center. It can get us off kilter of what we're really called to be and to do and to remember who we are. And that, folks, the bottom line is we're called to be a part of this absolutely wonderful story that is playing out. I know it's uncertain. We don't know what the chapter is going to be tomorrow. We don't know what the governor is going to say. We don't know what's going to happen with our president. We don't know what's going to go on. But you know what? God does. And if God does, and Jesus, we, I, I didn't get a report. Nothing came to me and said, well, you know what? Jesus decided he's not going to be king of kings anymore. That's just not happening. In fact, history is pressing its face up against the door of God bringing this whole thing to an end. So the question for you, my friends, is where are you? Where are you in the story? Who are you? And you know what? Depending on where you are and what you have chosen and, and, and where you are in the path and all of this, you can make a change tonight. You can be the shepherds in the field. You can be Simeon. You can be an Anna. You can be the Magi. Well, you think that maybe you've got it all figured out and you've you got a mindful of mush. And God wants to use all of that for his glory. It's time. And you know what? Incredible smart people have done that. <laughs> I love reading about them. C.S. Lewis. Many, many, many others. Where are you? It's time to make that decision tonight. Because when you come into this Christmas season, folks, I know, you're thinking in terms of, you just want it to be the red and green. You just want it to be the red and green. But God says, no, it's so much more than that. What it is, is a story that changed the world. And you, my friends, are in the middle of it. Let's take some time tonight to finish by asking God to help us to follow him to remember who we are, to not get drawn into the chaos of this world, but in, and even if there's going to be chaos, that we see it as an opportunity 
question is, what's your opportunity? Let's find out. Let's stand up this evening. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on our online service. We want you to know that if you want more information about Valley Community Church, we'd love for you to visit our website. That's valleychurch.us, where you can find more information about taking your next steps. We also have an app that you can download on your phone, where you can find more information about Valley Community Church. We'd love for you to come on a Sunday morning and join us all together. We have lots of different services. We meet on Thursday night, and we meet on Sunday at multiple services. Just go to our website. You'll find more information about when we meet and what those times are. Again, thank you for joining us, and God bless you. We have a great day.